Well, I've got to say, I'm a little bit excited about today's passage and where we've been going and even the next few weeks. Uh, just this love of God, being able to talk about this and the idea of um, this incredible gift that he has given us and that we get to share to the world. Uh, just to, I want to reiterate a couple things. Uh, Ryan mentioned, sorry, um, he is the worst about run-on sentences, by the way. <laughs> so, it's awesome. Uh, I'm going to laugh about that all day long. Uh, anyway. Food giveaway tomorrow. If you could, don't show up at 11. Show up maybe closer to 11.15, 11.20 if you're coming to help. Or, or we're just standing around for a while. And we really are trying to give away at noon. Uh, many, many times we give away earlier than that. We really need to focus on noon because that's what time we tell people. Cochran and Company, we have asked you for some clean, uh, for school supplies and those kind of things. We've said just hold off, wait, 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 wait. We'll tell you what we need. Okay, so we finally found out from the school what we need because TPS is going to, you know, nine weeks online, and what they're asking really is, at this point, we don't need to give a whole bunch of school supplies to kids because they're, they're going to have, they're going to be at home. We actually have some backpacks coming from a, an organization called Join the Cause that is partnered with us. We have 500 backpacks coming to, to be able to give away that night with more things that they're going to need at home than anything else. But what we need and what they're asking for us is cleaning supplies for the schools. They just said we need cleaning supplies, especially at Wayman Tisdale. And so what we're asking you to do is... Uh, it, through kind of mid-September, you know, Clorox wipes, cleaning supplies, things that you could use in your house or on desks that they can wipe down desks pretty quickly. That is what they're asking us for. So if you're able to bring those things, that's what Wayman Tisdale specifically has asked for. We'll set up a, an area in the back where we can collect those as well. And then as you heard on the 22nd, we're doing a, a kind of a food packing. I think we did this several years ago. I heard 2012 rice, soy, those kind of things that we're going to put together in the gym uh, that in the multi-purpose building on the 22nd from 10 to noon, and then uh, we'll be able to give those packets to people in our neighborhood who are in need of food on the 23rd as well. So it's kind of cool, all these things coming together, but we'll have more information how you can sign up for that specifically online and where to sign up for that as soon as possible. Well, this past week, Robin and I celebrated our 20th anniversary which for some of you, that's a long time. For some others, you're like, I, no, not very long. But all I know is you can pray for her because that poor woman has put up with me for 20 years. Uh, so I don't know how she's done it. She's shown me more love and grace than I ever thought could be possible because uh, I'm an idiot most of the time. So um, anyway, she is not. She's kind of this personification of beauty and grace and really resonates with Christ, uh, his love uh, in all she does. And I'm just, I'm thankful. Uh, but 20 years is pretty cool. We went last weekend to Bentonville area, took some time away, just the two of us to relax, to kind of recalibrate our marriage, no kids allowed, which was really wonderful at times when you have five kids it, you know getting away is nice uh, and I'm thankful for Mark and Peter stepping in uh, and and being able to you know lead in the way that they did and preach and do things they normally don't do and Robin and I well we celebrated by doing you know the normal things that people do on their 20th anniversary we did a seven and a half mile hard hike uh, <laughs> in the woods and went to a, an art museum. So I know, I know you're jealous. Our lives are pretty cool. We are exciting people. Uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, that's what we did. So you need to understand something about Robin and I, though. When we were preparing for this trip and we're looking at hikes, because we love to hike, we love to get out. We don't do it very often, but our thought was, okay, let's just go. Let's have some fun. And we see things that say, oh, it's a hard hike. And we're like, how hard could it really be? Like, could this really be that difficult? It, you know, and we'll kind of laugh at that. Ah, well, we got this. It, well, there's a couple things with that. We're, we're not 
as young as we used to be, um, by any means, um, our bodies hurt more often when we wake up than they don't. We're like, oh, well, let's just let's just do this. If if it's a hard thing, we're just gonna, you know, we're either gonna laugh and go, how hard can it be? Or we're like, eh, maybe they they know what they're talking about. And maybe we really shouldn't do this. And we thought, oh no, let's just take on the challenge. I, I do want to say this: if you're looking for a hike to do, and, and it's, you know, it says hard and not like moderate or easy, it's probably hard. And it's probably more than you bargained for on that day. And this hard trail of nine miles, which we really did seven and a half because we couldn't read signs well or it wasn't marked well or something, if it says that, then it's probably hard, especially if the trail is called the devil's eyebrow. (laughs) I'm just saying it's difficult. It started off pretty easy. It was pretty flat. We're like, all right, now we got this. And then the next thing we know, we're like going downhill like this on rock and gravel and keeping our step. And then we're going uphill the same way. And it's up and down the entire way in and out. Most trails are like, oh, it's up. And then you get downhill for the whole way out. No, this one is up and down the entire way. It's difficult, but it's, it was fun. Uh, it was fun for us. You know, and from the very beginning, Robin's like, this, this is kind of like marriage. Right, this trail, it's, it's hard. People tell you it's hard from the beginning, right? It's hard. It's going to be hard. And you're like, ah, we're good. You're coasting along. It's really flat at the beginning and at the end because it was an in and out trail and not a, it, not a big loop. And we're like, oh, this is flat. But then all of a sudden you're like coasting downhill. Okay, this is a little bit difficult, but it's still good. And then you're like, man, how do we ever try and go up these big hills? And that first bump becomes a little bit more than you expected the climb kind of ends up being more than you thought. It kind of wipes you out. You might be rewarded with a smooth path for a while, but at some point, the difficulty of going downhill is going to get you. The dry creek and no water for a little bit running next to you kind of hurts. The, the grass may grow up. Spider webs may block your trail. Ticks may be getting on your legs. Prove to be deeply annoying, but the hike at the end is worth it. Hard trails are marked that way for a reason. But the right companion, the right people along the trail make all the difference. The right people in that journey of life make all the difference. Holding Robin's hand in some of those points and we're like, boy, this is hard. Reminds you, reminded me, I'm not alone in this. Hearing her laugh as I spun out of one or more cobwebs trying to, you know, block the way. And there were a lot of cobwebs. And I'm just, I kept spinning instead of just walking straight. I don't know what was up with that. But that's what I did. And she'd laugh. Or at some point she had this stick and she's poking me along the way, just giggling behind me. Every moment I knew I'm not alone. Whether hard or easy. You know, and the same for our marriage, same for life. It's not really as easy as you think sometimes. 20 years is completely worth it. How do you explain, though, the beauty and complexity of a hike when it's hard, and yet the most encouraging thing is this little black and blue butterfly flying in front of you as you walk up a hill? How do you tell somebody that? How do you explain to somebody the journey of your marriage or your life if they haven't lived it well? How do you explain the love between two people in those moments, or the love between brothers and sisters, or people that you've gone to church with and lived that journey with. On the other hand, how do you even explain love? That's the question that the author of 1 John answers for us today. 
That's the thing that he gets at and says, let's lean into this. And really, we've kind of broken up the rest of 1 John 4 into about three different sections that are really all about love. But today, really, this very simple task, this very simple question, how do you describe love? We're going to be in 1 John 4, 7 through 12. I kind of wish it was 7 through 11 because it's, you know, it's more fun that way, 7, 11. Anyway, 7 through 12, 1 John 4, 7 through 12 today. So if you get a Bible, the Bible app, if, if you prefer to read on your phone on version app, if you click the three little lines in the bottom corner, it'll take you to events, and we should just pop up there if you're close. Uh, you can follow along with us. As we kind of dive into this idea of love and what it means and how we describe it. 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you grew up in the church like me, you may have sung that song over and over and over. That's little kid, I still remember it. Many, many, many years later. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God And if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is love. And right here, in the middle of this letter, written about 90 AD to a whole bunch of little churches in Ephesus, this author writes to his friends, and he says, let me remind you of Something that is true and beautiful and good. God is love. Just sit in that for a moment. Remind yourself that no matter what you're going through in life, God is love. He has loved you from the beginning. This is true. The creator God, the creator of the universe is love. And he loves you. How do you explain the essence of the divine in something so simple? I mean, even God told Moses and Elijah, the Lord, the Lord your God, slow to anger and abounding in love. How do you explain his essence, who he is, this very thing that we try to describe as, oh, love is this and love is this, instead of going, okay, God is love, what does that mean? How do you describe the beauty of that? How do you help somebody understand the fullness of the love of God? You know, I told you we have really cool anniversaries. We go hiking and we go to art museums. (laughs) Last weekend we went to Crystal Bridges for the first time, uh, which if you've not been there, uh, I would highly encourage you to go, even if you don't like art. I'm not a painter. I, I can't paint to save my life. I can't really draw anything but a really good stick figure. 
somehow this, this artist, Gene, skipped uh, Robin and I and went straight to our girls. Um, and I just look and some of the things they draw sometimes, I go, how? I don't even understand that. And then they laugh at me because I like to do bubble letters. But we went to this art museum, to Crystal Bridges, which is absolutely free. It's completely worth it. And in the halls of this museum, I found myself staring at paintings and through paintings, unaware of the beauty that can come from, from oil and from a canvas, it captivated really by, by these things that I saw that I had no idea how to even, how somebody could even paint that or understand that. Sometimes I just found myself looking through a painting. There's one particular painting that I could not stop thinking about, especially as we hiked the next day. It's called Kindred Spirits by a guy named Arthur B. Durand, and you can kind of see it there. This is a painting. Arthur Durand was a, a nature painter. He believed that he worshipped God best through painting. And this is a painting he was commissioned to do about a man named Thomas Cole. Um, Thomas Cole's most famous painting is called The Good Shepherd. Uh, it's worth looking up. And Thomas Cole is the guy in the hat, if you can see it, standing there talking to a, a man who he had mentored. And, and this was painted after his death, and so many believe this is maybe a picture of heaven or a new New, he- new earth, right? It's not go someplace, it's a new earth recreated to be who we are in, this, in the Catskills and this idea that, that he's just talking. And I found myself staring, staring through this painting for 15, 20 minutes. I, I, I now have it as my iPhone screen or my iPad screen. Like I just see it every day because of the beauty of what he captured. This man, this Asher Durand, believed that as he painted, he was worshiping God. As he was representing the, the way that God had made creation, he was worshiping the Savior. His art and his faith went hand in hand. It's difficult to describe the beauty of this on a screen. And unless you see it in real life, unless you see this painting hanging there. It may not impact you the same way it did me. But I know this. In those moments, I felt the love of God in deep ways. It makes me want to take a couple-hour drive and go back and see it again. And as I've read about this painting, here's what I found. Arthur Durand, this is what he believed about painting. He said this. He said, you paint and repaint until you are sure the work represents the model, not merely resembles it. You paint and repaint until you are sure that the work represents the model, not merely resembles it. I think he accomplished that. Because he didn't just say, oh, let me just, you know, see a sun and and sketch it as quickly as I can to represent what it might be. No, I want to make sure that my painting, whatever I do, that I paint and I repaint over and over and over until the work that I am doing represents the model that I have been given. It's not just a, oh yeah, let me resemble what that might be like. No, I want to represent it well. I want to make sure that people know it. In the same way, our love for the Father and His love for us 
needs to be represented to the world because we are constantly going back to the Father and going, teach me about your love. Show me who you are so that I'm not just a resemblance. I'm not just partially like you are loving the world. I am fully representing you to others. Paint and repaint until the work represents the model, not just resembles it. So how do we represent and not merely resemble the love of God that we've been given? How do we do this? How do we rest in his love? How do we know this love? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has been born of God knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. How do we represent the love of God and not merely resemble it? How do we represent the model he's given, his very essence to the world? We live in relationship with him. The love of the Father is only shown because we know his love first. Many will try and resemble his love. Many will try and show, oh, this is what it looks like to the world. And yet, when we live in relationship with the Father, when we know him intimately, then we know his love. Love is lived relationally. Think about it just for a moment. Every great love story begins with a relationship. For some reason, the princess bride is all that's coming into my head this morning as I talk about this, right? The servant, as you wish, as you wish, continually showing love, continually just saying, here it is, built in relationship. Every great love story is built in relationship. The author here is writing to Christians. I think we stop and forget that sometimes. Everything in this, what we have, is written to believers. Like, it's letters to believers. It's letters to churches. Let me remind you. Let me help you remember what it is to follow God. I mean, 1 Corinthians is messed up. Ephesus is messed up. Here, the author's just going, look, you guys are giving away to some false teachers and some false beliefs. Remember. Come back to this. Love is lived relationally in a relationship with the Father, plain and simple. I mean, the church gets a bad rap sometimes because, well... Christians don't love each other very well. We argue and we complain and we're bitter toward each other and and our behavior toward one another shows unbelievers, well, this is how Christians act. Why would I want anything to do with that? God is love. And we live out relationally, our relationship with Him first because of what He's asked us to do. But it also says if you don't love, then you're not really born of God. Love is the essence of what we do. How do we represent him? Do you represent him? Love is lived out to one another. First, God's relationship love for us. We know this from the cross that he came down incarnationally. Jesus came down to love us, to show us this great love that God's like, look, I know sin, I know brokenness, but I'm going to bring myself to you to show you this deep and affectionate love I have for you that I want something so much better. And when we follow him, we live in that relationship, we know his word, we know him intimately so that that intimacy that we have with God, that love just overflows to others. Relationship comes from knowing God well. Robin and I, for 20 years, have tried to figure each other out and how to love each other well. I'm still learning. Every single day, still learning. 
in the same way a relationship with God leads me to love her more, leads me to love him more, and to know the simple truth that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Love is from God. Anyone who is born of God and knows God loves. But those who do not love do not know God. It's a simple test, really. If the love of God is showing from you, then you probably know him well. This isn't something I'm making up. It's right there in Scripture. 1 John tells us this. We have to have a relationship. And so may it be true of us that we are known for our love. May it be true of us that we know God so well that we show his love to others. That there's no doubt that we love because of the way that we are living in the world for others. Showing them who he is simply because it's the overflow. Love for those that we worship alongside and love for those whom we struggle to be in the same room with. Love for those who we see on a daily basis and love for those who we avoid. Love of God is shown through us simply because of our relationship with him. And our love for God, our, our love for each other is rooted in our love for God. It's a man named Ario White that I came across this this week. I have no clue who he is, and I really want to say R.E.M. or Ario Speedwagon every time. But Ario White, it's his name, says this. He said, in Scripture, love is no abstract idea. It's conceived to provide a self-explanatory, self-motivating norm to resolve the problem in every moral situation. This is what I love. Love is rooted in the divine nature, expressed in the coming and death of Christ, experienced in salvation, and so kindled within the saved. Isn't that beautiful? Thus, it is central, essential, and indispensable to Christianity. For God is love. rooted in the divine nature, expressed in the coming and death of Christ. His love motivates us. It is central to our faith. We represent God because of our relationship with him. Love lived relationally, but it's also lived incarnationally. Love is lived incarnationally. Love in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God becoming a man it's one of the most incredible things of our faith that we can claim this. God became a man, lived in the incarnation before us. And in the incarnation, we see God living, breathing, and actively showing us what it is to love. Verses 9 and 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. It's a harkens back. I said harkens. Yeah, harkens back. To the very beginning of this, his love is made manifest. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How many times have we thought we can do love on our own? And yet, the author of this text tells us, look, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us. 
that he sent Jesus Christ into the world to be the propitiation for our sins became real in such a way that the earliest followers actually saw Jesus Christ. Andrew Peterson, he's a singer, songwriter, author. Uh, If you walk in my office, nine times out of ten, he's probably going to be playing. A little folksy. Been reading his book this week, Adorning the Dark, and I came across this passage. I have to share it with you. So he says about the incarnation, Jesus loving us incarnationally. He says, This God, full of all power and glory, utterly unapproachable by mortals, became flesh and dwelt among us. The incomprehensible, uncontainable God became a man with whom we could walk, talk, and eat. He spoke through his creation, but we didn't listen. He had spoken through the prophets, but we didn't listen. Then he became a man with a mouth, spoke to his disciples, demonstrated the nature of the Father's love, and though it's true that some still didn't listen, some did. And the world has never been the same. Jesus, a concentration of all the thunder of God's glory, looked us in the eye and opened his glorious heart to his sons and daughters. Love lived incarnationally to us. Jesus had relationship with his followers. They saw him call Zacchaeus down from a tree out of love. They saw him let the the woman pour the ointment over his feet and cry out, this outcast woman, they saw Jesus love. They saw God's manifest love to them in the flesh. Jesus coming to say, here I am. This is good news. That the Son of God would come to die for us. That he would love us so much. This is beautiful, life-changing news. Love is not that we loved God, but that he loved us. To be the propitiation for our sin. Now, we don't use that word every day, right? And unless you've been to Bible college, (coughs) excuse me, propitiation is not a word that you even talk about. Let me explain it real quick so that we know what it means that he became the propitiation or payment for our sins. If you go to Chick-fil-A, obviously not today because it's Sunday, and you order a chicken sandwich meal, and you get up there to pay, or maybe you've paid already, or you want to pay, but they say, well, no, it's already taken care of. It's already paid for. Somebody has become the propitiation for your chicken sandwich meal. Now, that's a pretty lame example. Pretty, and it doesn't really, it's not even comprehensible. Man, somebody bought my meal, my lunch. That's cool. $7.50 meal is no comparison to Jesus saying, I'll be the payment for your sin. If the wages of sin is death, then the love of God lived out incarnationally is to say, I will take care of that payment. I will pay whatever it takes so that your sin is covered. In the thought process of 1 John, the price of sin is living in darkness, and darkness equals death and hatred and the opposite of wherever God is going. It is walking the opposite way of God, and he says, wait, walk with me. Sin leads us to a lack of love and a lack of faith and a viewpoint that I become the center of the universe. 
And yet, God said, in Jesus, I am going to love you better than you could ever imagine. I will become the propitiation for your sin. I will bring you back to the reminder that I'm the center of the universe, and that I love you. There's nothing you can do, nothing we can do to pay for sin. You can't work hard enough, you can't work long enough to actually earn it, and yet Christians try to all the time. We all try to go, what else can I do? How else can I get better? And yet, resting in him. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament was not enough. Only in Jesus was it enough. That he became the propitiation is good news for us. The ultimate act of love by God on the cross. We know it. We see it because God is love. And Jesus represents the Father's love to us. Love that led to death on a cross. This relational love Love lived relationally that we have with the Father. Love lived incarnationally in Jesus coming to earth to be the propitiation for our sin. And finally, love is lived exceptionally. Now, before you go, I don't see that anywhere. Yeah, just, just know exceptionally is not in here at all. It's not in your text. In fact, it says perfected here in a little bit, but perfectionally, just, yeah, it's not really a word and I couldn't do it. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> exceptionally to us so how beloved if God so loved us we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God abides in us and his love is perfected in us when we understand this relationship with God who is love when we understand how he paid for the sin our natural response is to love to love God and to love one another. It's that simple, and yet we make it so hard. We put caveats on love. We turn our back on people when they're at their lowest. We offer a high five to the drowning man instead of offering our hand to reach out and grab him and pull him out of the water. We determine whether or not people are worth love, and yet God says, everybody is worthy of my love. There are no caveats to it. He loves you regardless of what you have done or what you will do. He loves over and over and over again. He continues to love because that's who God is. He loved us extravagantly. I could have used that as well. It kind of rhymes, right? But he also loved us exceptionally to the point of death that we might share that love with others because we know him and we represent the love of God to each other and to the world. Because of the relationship with him, we have with him, you represent the love of God to each other and to the world because of the relationship you have with him. How good is your representation? If God is unseen, how do we know his presence? How do we know that he is walking alongside us on the difficult journey of life? There's not necessarily a physical hand to hold. It's in the way that we know and show his love. The way that we love each other is the mark of the abiding love of the Father in us, that he dwells in us. His exceptional love is shown and perfected when we love one another. God is love. He came in human form to the point of death for us. He moved to save us in his love on the cross. He moves now through his people on this earth. He's love. His exceptional love is lived out through his people. We are his people, and so we get to show his love. How cool is that? That God would say, you're my representation on this earth. 
That that deep love that you know because of me, that deep love that you have grown in faith with me, that you have lived in a relationship and you have found me and dwelt in me, now go show it. Let the overflow of your heart show to the world so that people know you. Connect Christ to where you live. We say it all the time around here. That means show the love of God to the world. It's hard sometimes to get up here and I want to go, hey, look, here's how I showed love this week, but that's not my job. My role is not to tell you how I showed love to my neighbors or how I was able to just be a friend, but sometimes love is simply shown in having a conversation with the neighbor and listening and not talking about yourself. And sometimes love is shown in mowing a yard and sometimes love is shown in sharing a meal and sometimes love is shown by being with the least and saying, I care about you. And sometimes love is picking up the phone and saying, hey, you're on my mind. And I just want you to know you're wonderful and you are accepted. And God brought you to my mind today because you're important. And I want you to know that. And it's awkward, but it's beautiful. God is love. We connect that love to where we live, this overflow of our hearts. He came incarnationally to make sure that you know that love and that you might live relationally with him. This is the gospel. This is good news. As Timothy Keller says, the gospel is good news, not good advice. Right? Advice is what we should do. News is, what has, is a report of what has been done for us. This is good news. Jesus, the Son of God, came in the flesh. He came in the incarnation to pay the price for your sin. Sin always comes at a price, breaks relationships, specifically the one with the Father. Even one sin was not his intention for you, for us, for his creation. Yet he determined early on, I will pay the price. Before the foundations of the world were laid, he already had in mind the way in which he would pay for our sin. Out of his deep love, wanting us to come to him, he said, I know my people, and yet I will still love. God is love, and we represent him to the world. Before you can represent him, you must know him. Before you know him, you must believe in him. When you believe in him, when you trust in your love, you give his li- your life to him. You live it out. Every day we decide to follow Every day we decide to rest in his love and to show his love to the world. We love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Our faith is not that complicated. But it comes down to a decision every day to rest in his love and to show his love. God is love. And we represent him to the world. Father, I pray that we would be a church and a group of people who come to Osage Hills Christian Church that are not known for hiding in a building, that are not known for standing on, on only where we believe we should go, but known as a people who say, I am seeking ways to love because God loves me. I am stepping out in love because even though it doesn't always make sense, I know this is what the Father has called me to do. God, help us to love. Help us to be hands and feet in this world that love you well. 
May our response to be to go in love, to love our family, to love our friends, to love those who do not yet know you, that we would represent you well, that we would stand for your name. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen.